All right. Uh, now let's talk about some spiritual things here. Uh, this week has been interesting. And I got this sermon. It's kind of a little bit off of what we've been talking about some. And I do want to go back to what I, the Lord showed me at the end of the year. You know, that what it was at the end of the year, he showed me, I had that dream. I've talked about the dream I had. And the essence of it is, is that we, we are entering literally into, uh, a new chronos, a new time frame of God. The last 40 year period, I think, uh, on the spiritual calendar. Now, a chronos in the Greek, again, is a, is a set period of time, usually, usually 40 years, but sometimes it can be, uh, thousands of years. It defines a, a work of God. An era. So, uh, when there's a big one involved, it, it really is cataclysmic. Give you an example. Uh, when the Bible says that when the fullness of Kronos came, the fullness of time came, God sent forth Jesus. Alright? So we had literally 4,000 years of history, a chronos, a long chronos, and when it reached its fullness, then it was time to bring Jesus forth and start a new long chronos. This one's been going about 2,000 years, give or take, and it's probably coming to an end. Now, when you have these big, Huge chronos time frames come come together. It is cataclysmic. It's a big change, and each one of those I do believe brings a, this this element of fullness. Everything's full. I give you another one of those examples. God came to Abraham and told him, "I'm promising you something. I am promising you and your seed." To have a promised land. Y'all will live in this land called Canaan. Promised land. But not yet. We will wait. Until the fullness of the iniquity of the Amorites has come. And then I'll give it to you. So fullness is a part of these big changes. It took 400 years for that to take place. So you have the big log chronoses. And then you have shorter ones, like 40 years. And usually you will live to see one of those chronoses in your life in which, I mean, as an adult, you will see a a, a leadership generation and how God does a thing. But some of you will see two. And some of you may even see three, you know, if you're you're savvy enough to, to see it. We're in one of them right now. And you can count on this, the fullness will be there as, as we change everything. And when we change everything, there are some requirements. And this week I saw some of it, and it literally blew me away. And I sent this text message. I'm learning textees. It's a little bit different than English. Y'all didn't get that, okay. It's kind of like Spanish. Textiles. So, you know, punctuation matters. Usually not, but when you do punctuate, it matters. 
Capitalization usually doesn't matter unless you do capitalize it, then it can't really matter. Like here, Betty, have you ever sent a text to anyone with full all caps? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I didn't know there was something wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of the, the rules involved. That was a yell at textees, and I did it. Who knew? But you learn. And here's another textees uh, issue. If you put a period after every sentence, after every word, this is this one really matters. Am I, am I right? I mean, this is a big message going for it. And so I said, I, I sent one of those texts to Susan. I said, oh, my God. And that's all I sent her. I thought, that'll get her. She can't stand not asking, what? Yeah, that was, is that considered a yell? O, period, my, period, God. It wasn't in all caps. It was, it was no caps at all, except God. But it was definitely a big point being made. And so I want to talk to you about what I saw. In a matter of, of just a morning, I saw some of the stuff that's being required as we change, transition into a new chronos. I saw several lives, I'll just put it that way, come to a cataclysmic moment. And it's a moment they've been to before. And yet, you wonder, has anything changed? And each one of them had points where you thought it had changed. And then you wondered if it had changed at all. So, uh, interesting. And it made me think, wow, what is required to stop this crazy train from running? This, like a rat in a wheel. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 3. This is what I got. If there was ever a, a point in time where there was a big, big, long chronos changing to another big, long chronos, is when Jesus came and began his walk on earth. He had a three-year period where it transitioned from the old chronos to what we are still living in. And there was Jesus and, and then the, John the Baptist both sent out with the message that precedes the change. And here it is in chapter 3. Verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when there's this big, big transition thing, count on this. This is the first message that you'll get. This new thing that's coming, there, there is a change required in order for you to enter into it. You can't live this next period of time like you've been living. You have to repent. Well, that was John's message. That's what he preached everywhere he went. That was also the message of Jesus when he did his three-year run. 
You just, I mean, I could take you to scriptures. That was the first thing that he said. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he sent out his 12 to be the guys that's going to carry this thing forward, their message was, he told them, here's how you do it. You go to these places and you tell them this. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then a bunch of other stuff. But that was always the first thing. Repent. Something's coming. Okay? Well, is there, is there more to it? Is there more required of us than just to repent? And we're going to get into the, the message of repent here later, a bit later as far as what, is, what the definition of it is. But we know that's the first thing. But my first question here is, is it the only thing? Because as I look at these people's lives, I noticed a, a complete cycle had taken place in their life. And they have come back to the same place that they had been before. And each of the other times when they came to this place, they did repent. And they began to live their life differently for God for a while. And now all of a sudden, we're back to the same place again. So they started out here low. They met God, or again maybe, and they repented and they began to walk with God. And then somehow over a course of time, some of them longer than others, they've come down and boom, they're back where they started from. And the message is there again. I mean, you have to start again. Repent and let's go again. And so I began to, and for some of these people, this isn't the first or even the second rodeo. This is the third or fourth or 24th or I don't know how many. And so that's why I began to ask this question. Is there anything else that is required? Because this doesn't seem to carry us home. Okay, so uh, that's the point of today's message. What more is required? Let's just keep reading. Look over verse 5. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around about Jordan went out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Okay, so here's, here's more. They were baptized, and they, were, they confessed what they had been doing wrong. They confessed their sins. Well, surely that's enough. I mean, you're repenting, and you're telling us what you've been doing wrong. Is that enough? Well, I know it means a lot, but I think there's actually more to it than that. In fact, if just, we just keep reading, you'll find, of course, there's more. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Let me just stop right there for a second and say this. When you get one of these big chronos changes, Especially the last one. John the Baptist actually thought it was the last one. Wrath will come. When we end this deal up, the wrath of God will finish it. And then we will have a new heaven and a new earth. So the wrath of God will come. He thought he was living to see it. So he said, hey, dudes, 
You know, who warns you that the wrath is coming? And I ain't talking about chronovirus or whatever they were called. Uh, big stuff. So, verse 8, therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And so here's a, here's a line that matters. It's just, it's not just confession and repentance. Bring forth fruits that are worthy of repentance. Or in other words, they prove that you have repented. They are consistent with repentance. In other words, you should actually see a change in what comes out of that person's life. All right? Keep reading. Now, this fruit that should come out of your life when you run into this thing is not just, you know, it's not going to be uh, taken at face value. In other words, I can't just tell you it's over or I'm different. Or I, or just believe me because my mouth is moving. No, no, no. It's, there's going to be a test on it. Look at verse 10. And now, even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. That means your life. The root of the tree. Therefore, every tree or every person which does not bear forth good fruit. Well, there's a definition for you. It ain't just fruit. It's good fruit. Good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. So if the baptism of water leads you to repentance, what this next guy is going to do, Jesus, is going to lead you to a different level of that. The one who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you too, but not with water, with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the level he requires is a lot heavier, much heavier as a matter of fact. Well, so let's look at fruit. I mean, the fruit seems to be a point here. If we're, if we're going to say, okay, this thing really stuck, if I really got it, then I should be able to tell by watching the fruit. Now, there's a lot of places for fruit in, in the Bible, but we'll, let's look at John. He has a lot of good stuff to say about it. John 15. We'll kind of intersperse it with some other things that go with that. John 15. <clears throat> Good fruit. That's what John the Baptist said. That should be brought forth as a result of this confrontation and, and walking into this new kingdom. If you'll notice in John 15, everything's in red letter. So we know who's talking here is Jesus. Let's see what he has to say about this fruit issue. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me. That word abide is the Greek word meno. 
M-E-N-O, or Mano, probably Mano. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. Now let's stop for a bit. So one of the definitions that we're looking for, okay, we're looking for fruit. So let's, let's drill down. Fruit. What does that mean? Well, he says, God, John the Baptist said it's good fruit. So is there another kind? Yeah, there is. It's called corrupt fruit. Bad fruit. But it is fruit. We want the right fruit. And only the right fruit comes, or the right fruit only comes from him. Being in him and him in us. And it's not just that. It is much fruit. Here's where a lot of people feel. They think one thing is enough. Oh, I need to stop. I'll I'll get baptized. And that's it. And, uh, and tell everybody, you know, Jesus is good. No, 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 no. In this scheme of things with God, if you're connected to him like you're supposed to be, you won't bear just a little fruit. You will bear much fruit. Even 30 times or 60 times or a hundredfold more than what you yourself could do. That's what he looks like. That's how he measures it. Is there a lot of fruit? Or are you just barely trying to squeak by with just a little bit? Much fruit. Full fruit. All of the fruit. You know how you, there's different ways to, to look at it to see if it's actually at work in your life. Uh, faithfulness. Are you faithful? Don't raise your hands, but how many of you out there feel like that you're a faithful person? I would hope that you would all feel that way. But, you know, just saying it don't mean it's true. If it was really true, other people in your life can look at it and tell you that you are a faithful person. Don't trust yourself on this, honestly. It should be apparent. Because, see, God's fruit isn't hidden. Now, we try to be approach the faithfulness issue sometimes in a secret manner. And, you know, in some ways you can't, you can't be secretive. Like, well, can we all agree about this one thing? That part of your faithfulness is showing up. You know, this is a body, a church. If you're going to be a part of the church, don't you think you ought to be here? Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, we're making progress here. There's a little fruit. Let's go much fruit. How faithful are you? This is where we get tripped up. This cracks me up sometimes. I hear people say, well, I'm there all the time. Oh, I think, now, stop. If anybody is there all the time, it would be the preacher. Yeah. And you know what? I could, I could tell if I am by asking you. Am I here all the time? All right. 
<laughs> Unless I'm on vacation. I mean, and I'm not the measuring rod. I am, I am one of the signs. Okay. And if you tell me you're there all the time, and by God, I don't think you're there all the time. Houston, we have a problem. Maybe it's a problem with definition. Well, maybe your definition needs to get real. Amen? I guess it would lead to another question. Should you be here all the time? And let me tell you, from my perspective, the answer is no. But you, if this is even a question in your life, you probably should be here more than you are. I hope that got through. If that's even a question to you, you're not up to the level that you should be. Your heart should not condemn you over this issue. If your heart is kind of dealing with you over this issue, then you probably need to repent. And then we can go into the money thing. I'll leave it alone. But, you know, uh, it's part of that as well. So, anyway, let's just keep moving. There's, there needs to be an abundant fruit. And it's good fruit. Uh, keep reading here. Look down at verse 16. This is really pretty good. Um, by the way, verse 8 is, I think is also interesting. Uh, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You want to bring glory to God? It's not just your words and seeing. And all. It's more than that. It's that you bear fruit. And His fruit. Because you're abiding in Him. And He in you. You're producing Christ-likeness in your life. Now, look down in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go. Stop right there. You should go. In other words, at some point in your life, you need to get off your duff and quit living just about you and go into the world. And affect other people's lives. That's the whole game plan he's got. He has ordained that you are the light of the world. Will do me in, light a candle, and put it under a bush like under here where you can't see it? No. He wants you to go and let the world see something about Christ through you. That's real fruit. You're also the salt. You should have changed things. You, you sh- your life should affect things. I love what's happening here in this church with Gary and, and Dwayne running for office. Will they begin to affect more people? Gotta hope so. That's why they're going there. So he says, I ordained this, that you should go and bear fruit. And what I'm, what he's saying here, you should affect other people's fruit bearing. You should cause them to bear more fruit. Them, not you, them. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So it's a crazy thing. You know, your fruit should remain. That's that same word I said a while ago about minnow, abide. When I literally... 
leave the, just the living of my life for me and get into the world. I should be able to affect the, the world with the things that God has done in me because I'm still continually abiding or middle with him. What's being produced is him. And if I go out into this world, I should at some point begin to affect other people and the same nature of the fruit that comes into their life because of me should be just like what I got from him. It should abide. It should remain. You should have disciples. But what do we usually have? You all remember changes the hill? And we said, what, well, have you ever looked at the wake of your life? It reminds me of when I was a kid, we used to go boating all the time, you know, skiing and stuff. You know, you see the wake on a boat, the little trail that follows the boat. And what's in the trail of your, of your wake? Heads bobbing up and down, gasping for air, hoping to survive the fact that you came through their life. Is that your fruit? Victims everywhere? Well, that didn't get through to anybody. That's how you measure it. What is your fruit, really? It's measured in people. It's measured in people. Well, one more. Let's look at Matthew 21. This is an interesting scripture. It's going to bring in another word for repent, and it will help us start dividing that word up a little bit. How can you tell if you're on the right path? Matthew 21, verse 28. The parable of the two sons. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go and work today in my vineyard. The son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it or repented, and he went. Then he came to the second one and said, likewise. And he answered him, says, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And that's the bottom line question right there. Your repentance will reflect the will of the Father, not your will, his will, all right? That should be like neon signs going off right there. All of a sudden, it ain't my will that's happening here. Well, they said, which one did the will of the Father? They said, the will of the first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not after relent or repent and believe him. All right, this brings up the, the two words of repentance. There's two. And this is actually the lesser word for that. But it gives me a chance to compare the two. And I think this is where the, the, the rub comes. Why do we continually see this? Cycle. Why? Again, some of them take three months. Some of them take five years. You know, but 
It just seems to happen again and again. What the lesser word for repent, the one that's not as powerful, let me just give you what it says, what it means. It means to regret it. I regret what I've done. It is actually an emotional thing. I may even be crying. I'm sorry. Okay. It's an emotional change, but it focuses on just a particular event or a particular point. I'm sorry for hurting your feelings or, or saying that or this is marriage, right? I'm sorry. It focuses on a thing. And usually you can say it about, it's usually a selfish desire to undo what has been done. You want to think about that for a minute? The point of it for you is to undo what has been done, but with no real change of heart. In other words, I just want this to stop. I don't want to keep reaping from my error. Amen? You, you live with people like that? A person who shows this was Judas Iscariot. And that last day, when they all left Jesus, betrayed him, Judas, the Bible says he repented. And then it went out and hung himself. So he's a classic example of this. He got emotional. He threw the, the money that they gave him to, to betray Jesus. He threw it at him. Tried to get rid of the money. But did he, did he break down and come back to Jesus? No. Did he change his way of living and his, his, his goals in life? No. He just went out and hung himself. Selfish, selfish, selfish. All the way through. The other word for repentance is, it means to repent, of course. This is the repentance that, that, that God looks for, that Jesus preached and John preached. It looks for a change of choice, not just for the, this one issue, but for my entire life. My entire way of living is on the table. I'm willing to change anything and everything. As opposed to just get me out of this moment. It is literally reversing your moral purpose and forsaking the evil of your life with a, a change of heart. You can tell what kind of repentance you're, that you put on the table, folks, by the way. Does it come back up again? Y'all hear that? It's like the, the head's bobbing up and down in your wake. You might be sorry that they're drowning, but oh well. And the next thing you know, there's another head down back there, bobbing up and down. And maybe another... You know, it's like serial marriage and divorce. Not to get personal. But that's what happens. Nobody starts out their married career, life, with the idea, well, you know, I'll probably have six or seven by the time this is over. 
That sounds like an acceptable number. Does anybody do that? I don't think so. I think one's enough. But isn't it weird? For at least half the people in this world, one's not enough. Why? You would think that if you had a true repentance issue, you know, you really did mess up and you had to get remarried, that that would be it. Did you know that the chances of divorcing again after the second marriage are greater than it was on the first one? What does that say? You're not changing your purpose, your way of living, your heart. Am I, am I right? You want someone else to change. But you're not willing to take it on yourself. Amen? True repentance is often accompanied with another action or another state of being. I'll show you what I mean. Acts 2.38. This is on the day of Pentecost. And we're fixed to get the church started by people repenting and walking into Jesus. Verse 38, Peter's preaching. And at the conclusion, what an altar call. Then Jesus, then Peter said to them, repent. The higher level of repentance. And let every one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repent and be baptized. And that's why, you know, we want you to be baptized. It is the first step, usually, not always, but the first step along the path of true change. It really is. I've known people that just wouldn't do it. Well, I did that when I was seven. How's it been going? <laughs> did it work for you? You know, seriously, did it work for you? Do we have fruit that remains? Do we have a lot of fruit? The testing goes on, right? Okay, here's another one. Same book of Acts, chapter 3. Verse 19. Another sermon by Peter. This guy's really rocking. Verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and time to refresh it can come from the presence of the Lord. And he'll send you Jesus. Be converted. That means to turn away. Here's what repent and be converted together means. It means to turn away from sin and turn to God. I'm not just turning away from the one thing and going randomly out there. No. I'm getting a focus on where I'm turning to. I'm going to go there. So you should see both, by the way. If you want fruit that remains from your repentance, 
There literally should be a turning away from stuff that doesn't work in the, in the kingdom of God. Honestly. Most people fail because of this issue. I know that, here's a turn away for me. When I ran into Jesus in Las Vegas, there for a party fest, I got stoned 10 minutes later. You know, stoned. And went home for two weeks at Lubbock and went to a bar every day and got drunk and stoned. I'd drink all the beer I could, you know, this little small body could handle. Usually a pitcher or two. I'm not like Dwayne. Go home and smoke my brains out. So it doesn't have to be instantaneous. But at some point, you turn away. And I finally couldn't stand it anymore. Because that one taste of him, I could not let it go. And I didn't want to. And all this stuff was just trying to drown it and steal it. And in order to keep it, in order to keep it, I had to turn away. So I called my friends over and said, I can't do this anymore. And I just started bringing out my stash, which was the finest stash in Lubbock, I'll tell you. And my pops and all this stuff said, who wants what? And uh, gave it away. I didn't sell it. So I'm kind of holy on that deal. I hadn't reached that issue yet. Repent and be converted. Turn from, turn to. One more of those. Acts 26. Paul preaching here. Boy, he's talking to the king. This is is one of the great passages in the Bible. We're not going to read the whole thing, but you you should come back and read this. This is an amazing scripture right here. We'll start in verse 19. It says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He saw Christ. And he turned his life around. He repented. But, but I declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles, and here it comes, that they should repent, turn to God, epistrepho, convert, and do the works befitting repentance. Same word for worthy that we, when John the Baptist was preaching, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance that proves it, that's con- consistent with it. I begin to do works consistent with repentance. So those three things are pretty good to, to watch your life on. Let's go back and drill a little deeper on conversion and the works thing. Look at Matthew 18. Let's look at conversion for a minute. Matthew 18. It's the word epistrepho or strepho to turn. Matthew 18, getting there. This is a great scripture too. You know, most of these scriptures are great. Have you noticed? Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Here we go. 
Surely I say to you, unless you are converted, turned, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as his little child is the greatest in the kingdom. So we're talking about conversion. Repent and be converted. And here's how you measure it. Do you know what converted looks like? Here's what Jesus is telling you what it looks like. Become like a little child. You could spend days, months, years meditating on what does that mean in my life. Not just generally, but in me. How does that look? A little child. We know this much about it. It includes humility, for sure. Humbles himself. Humbles himself. Lowly. I mean, you actually think that way. You ever not think that way? Have you ever been in a fight? If you're in a fight, you're not thinking that way. Amen? You want that person to fight and uh, humble themselves as I'm writing it. My God. So that's a good that's a good way to define for you what is preached about repent and be converted. As I turn to God, here's the wonder of it all. As I turn to God, wow, He is greater than anything. That should make me humble myself. I should be going down just naturally. As I see how big and great and wonderful and beautiful and all that stuff that he is. I'm not looking at me anymore. I guarantee you it's a better deal. It's a great exchange to look at him, not me. It's the way you ought to live. And it's not that just a natural thing that's going to just happen to you. No, no, no. You've got to work this. You've got to make this your goal in life, folks, or it won't happen. You have to want it. And, but when you begin to see him, you do want it. I mean, I, I think that's what it is. It seems to be working that way with me. Well, let's look at the other one, the works, the works thing. I want to really talk about this. Son. Matthew 22. I want you to back up a minute because this is actually one thought. They, they've got a chapter break in here, and, and it really shouldn't be in here, really. Look at verse 43. Jesus is talking to the Jews, and they are resisting the heck out of him. They don't want to go that way. They don't want to do what he says. They want to keep their way. Jesus says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. So we're still talking about fruit bearing, all right? And he's looking at his own people and saying, you guys lost. There is no fruit here. Oh, there's a lot of fruit about you. Self-righteousness, hypocrisy, a bunch of stuff about you. 
You know the Bible, you know the, the scriptures as well as any, any creature who ever walked the earth, and yet you won't come to me. I am the word of God. You missed it. How can you bear fruit when you won't even come to me? So he's, he's, he's making the point. You guys are in transition too. There's a whole bunch of people that are going to repent, convert, and start doing the works. Theirs is the kingdom. But you won't change. And so yours is not the kingdom. Let me tell you, we're seeing that again. How many people in the church world think that they're great? and Just where they ought to be. And they ain't even close. Amen. A lot. That's why the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible always talks about the remnant. It is a small number. So he's, he's, he's transitioning from that and moving right on into the message of the way it all is, the, the marriage feast. So he really hasn't broken stride here. He's just going, he's just adding to the subject. We're going to transition from people who have fruit and those that don't. You ever heard about the ten virgins? Similar kind of deal, right? Okay, but so let's read about the, about the marriage feast because he's, we're still talking about this issue. Verse 1, 22, chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. And here we go, church. We have this today. Oh, uh, you know, we got a we got a, a service plan that day. We have other things that we are doing that matters more. Again, out again, he sent out his servants, saying, "Tell those who are invited. See, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding." But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, there are some works. Another to his business, there are some works. You know, why am I saying works? Because we had the threefold deal, did we not? Repent, be converted, do works. Here's works. Are they the right works? Works equals fruit. Is this good fruit? No, it's the wrong fruit. Are farms bad? No. But when they interfere with the good that God wants to do, yeah. You got a priority issue. Verse 6. The rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out to his armies and destroyed those murderers. And he really was a little ticked off about that. And he burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and then as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. This is coming, the great harvest, the billion souls being saved. So these servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. So there's going to be a lot of people that, Fresh, freshly born again. Do they have requirements on their life? 
Of course they do. And it's up to us to teach them that. 11. But when the king came in to the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. That is another work. A garment describes your lifestyle and what you do, your works, your fruit. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? See, your goals have to match the goals of the one who saved you. And what I'm telling you is in the previous chronos, which was just not long ago, you didn't have to worry about the wedding. It wasn't in that chronos. But at the last chronos, you better be focusing on it. Your goals have to match his goal. Folks, he's ramping up for a wedding. If all you're living for is your 401k and your travel plans and your vacation ideas and all this stuff, you got to switch. Get a grip on what God is trying to do. Amen? It may require you to repent. Not because you're a bad person, but he's going to another level. A different issue. Repentance isn't a one-time deal. It's a lifestyle. So why don't you have on a wedding garment? That's why we're here. And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot. Take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, few are chosen. So the great harvest that's coming in, I mean, folks, they have got to repent, be converted, and do works. They can't live the old way. We're all in the same game on this deal. We all are on the same path. I don't care how long you've been walking with God. You have the same issue. Get ready for the wedding. Now, one of the the highest level of repentance, I said, is a lifestyle. Now, we know that the, the, the basic level of repentance is to turn from evil to good. All right? That's simple. But you know there's more? There's another level. It literally means a change from good to better. Did y'all catch that? First level required. Turn from evil to good. Higher level. Turn from good to better. Amen? You want better? Don't settle for good. All right, so here we... uh, How's that going to work? Here's what I see. I talked to this person this week after, oh my God. And I'm thinking, man, do I owe you something? Is there something I should be telling you? Because how many times have we been here? And is is the question, do I love you? Or is the question, do I forgive you? Let's settle that. Not for me, that ain't the question. Yeah, I love you and I will forgive you. Is that all that's required? Is the fact that you come to me and confess what you did wrong, is that enough? Well, hopefully we've answered that question. 
No, the axe is being laid to the root. The fire is coming. The sifting is coming. We're going to get down to the, I almost blew it. The basics of it. I mean, the, the bottom line of it. <laughs> How can I say this in a good way? Uh, do I owe you to challenge you to look higher than to just forgive that person? What if you're married to one of these people who keep falling? Is that the most that's required of you? Is this forgive them again? 70 times 7? Is that it? That's all that's required of me. Whoa. Is there more? I think there might be more. Especially if you're married. If you think that's the extent of it, that we go from pillar to post and fall, repent, get better, walk away with the Lord, and fall again, repent, get forgiven, and do it again. And, do it. and the whole the whole essence of life is a test of will I forgive. God, people, there's more. There's more. That's good, and I'm going to grant you that that is good. But I would call that 30-fold level of Christianity. The fact that you could do it 70 times 7. I want more. I want a hundredfold, which I really feel like that's one of the things that God showed me for this, this chronos. There will be a hundredfold fruit. But that's not the definition of it. There's more. It's better. I, I'm not going to make this cycle again. So I'm going to challenge you to look beyond just that equation. A repent, confess, get forgiveness, and yeah, that's all good. But let's get beyond that. I want you to grow up. That's better. Paul said it this way. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. I did childish things. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I want to challenge you, the sword generation. Grow up until you're calling. And not is it just survive your marriage. That's expected. Did y'all hear that? We expect that. But I'm challenging you. Do you think that was all God had in mind? When he formed you from your mother's womb and had a purpose in your life before there was a creation of this world, he knew why he, why he formed you. Do you think that was it? That you don't kill your mate? Well, by God, let's just bring heaven now. We've all done this. I might have had to go through three or four or five marriages, but you know what? The one I'm with now, I love her. I love the one I'm with. There's more. Quit living that way. Grow up. Joshua 5. God keeps leading me back to this scripture. So we'll do it one more time. 
I think that, that spiritually this is where this church is. We have literally left the good and we're going into the better. This generation and, and the older ones that survived the wilderness has left the good, the wilderness. And you say, how can that be good? Because you walked with God through all that time. You were fed. Your clothes didn't wear out. Amen? You were, you were a person of God. But do you like that? Is that all it is? Not for me. So we've moved in to the better. The promised land. And so here's how it looks. Chapter 5, verse 7. You first have to re-enter your covenant, and many of you are being circumcised right now. The sign of your covenant. It hurts. It bleeds. It takes a while to get healed. Verse 7. Joshua circumcised their sons and be raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised in the, in the wilderness. So it was, when they had finished circumcising all the people, that they stayed in their places in the camp until they were healed. And I love this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore the name of that place is called Gilgal this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover. They hadn't done it for 40 years. So we're entering into normal, full Christian living. And we're getting very close to all this. This is crazy how this is working out for us. That's crazy. That's six weeks away. And look at verse 12. We're going from the good to the better. From being child, children, to a man. Then the manna ceased. On the day after they had eaten the produce of the lamb, the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So tell me, good to better, how's that work at this? Manna was good. They got where they hated it. But you know what kept them alive? It came from heaven. Heavenly food came down every day. And it fed them every day. The better. Go from being just a recipient and taken care of to eating what you produce with God. You get it? You're going to work for this now. You'll feel much better about yourself. It's like living on welfare versus having a job. Where you bring in your stuff. I work for this and this is what I produce. You feel lots better about you. Because now you are walking like God does. Amen? You're not a burden. You're a producer of fruit. That's one thing. Here's another from good to better. Deal with this issue. The next scripture, 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked and behold a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, neither, no. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he worshipped him. So that, this is Jesus as he's worshipping. God does, God forbids worshipping angels. He's worshipping him. And he said to him, what does my Lord say? 
to his servant. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. Now, I want to talk to you just for a quick moment. Folks, we're going from the good to the better. You should study this. You want, you want to make a good study for yourself? Study holiness. Study holiness. I don't think many, I think the sword generation especially, you need to understand what that means. I'll give you one example. This is simple, crazy, probably just a little bit racy. And John, you just love it like that, don't you? Here's holiness. When God wants to find, like this, he gets his army ready, like you. And he says, sanctify yourselves, make yourselves holy, for the Lord is coming into your camp. He's really holy. He's the reason you're going to win. What must you do? How do, how do they sanctify themselves? And this is where it gets a little bit weird. If you need to take a dump, don't take your toilet paper because there is none. Take your shovel, go outside the camp, don't bring it in here, Duchesne. Get out, you, out there, away from everybody, do your business, take that shovel and cover it. I don't want to see your crap. That's holiness. Do you believe it? Is that weird? That's how they prepare to fight. We all have. Now, is crap bad? <laughs> this is crazy. How do I get into this? But no, it's not. It's a natural, you know, thing of life. But you shouldn't flaunt it. We uh, take pictures. Boy, did you see this one? <laughs> Who would do such a thing? <laughs> Susan, look at me. You say anymore, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, so anyway. Oh, Lord. So it's a natural product of life. But when you're walking, this better. Not the good, but the better. Some things we don't want to see. We're focusing on better things. Then we had a little incident at the church, and I know some people got their little feathers ruffled. Let me just say this. What, what scripture did I give someone? It's a number or something. If you want to be in the holiness section with God, don't bring your beer. Amen. Uh, is beer wrong? Don't come into my kitchen. I got a wine chest there. No, it's not wrong. Am I insulting anybody? Have a beer. Don't have it at the church. It's holy ground. Take your shoes off. Take your shovel out. You get it? So some things are okay, but not there. Or not now. When we have a holy moment. And if anybody is interested in the scripture, I'll just refer to you, or, or both of them, I'll give them to you, as we say, offline.
Y'all learn anything today? Oh my God. It really blew me away. But I have great encouragement that I was able to be at that point with all these people at the same time. That's got to mean something. And I think it means something good. We just need to impart some knowledge and some wisdom into the picture and let them this time do it right. Amen? If that's you, I want to pray. Everybody just bow your heads. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I don't say if it is or isn't. We always have Larry's Law at work here, right? No. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that keep cycling back to the same place of failure. Oh, God, let it stop today. 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 Let this be the day of the Lord. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of entering in. And I ask you, oh, God, grace these people as they let the word of the Lord into their lives. Let the fruit of that remain. And not this past failure. Oh, God, break our patterns in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you Wednesday.